Well, good morning. We are glad you're at Lifestone Church, and uh, I'm excited because I get to preach Romans 12 to you guys, and it just, it's such good stuff. Um, so I, I hope you're excited about that. Before we jump into that, um, something new we've been throwing out there, and I see some new faces here this morning. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, we hope you had a chance to grab a gift and kind of just say hi to our little uh, new here area. And uh, the other thing that you may have seen is we are asking you to text and text certain things like Kish shared, text yes if, if you know, uh, you can help with the, uh, uh, the little remodel that we'll be jumping into this week. Um, but with that, in your program, you see that number and we ask you to text that. Everybody get out their phone. You know you have it with you. And here's what I want you to do. Just save that number. If you're a part of us and you're like, hey, because on a regular basis, if you want more information about something, if you uh, want to get connected in some way to something we're doing, that's, that's how we're going to do it. Is say, hey, text this phrase, this simple thing to this number. Now, if you are just quit bugging me and I don't want text or whatever, all you have to do is text stop to that number. But if you save it in your phone to like Lifestone text or church text or something like that, then you don't have to like put in the number every single time. Oh, hey, I want more info about that or I want to sign up for that. All right, does that make sense? And if you're new, just text welcome to it. And, and we want to just connect with you and let you know a little bit more about our church. And if you hate us, just text stop. Okay? All right. <laughs> That's weird. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you so much for allowing us to focus on you this morning and help us do that. Uh, God, help us set aside our priorities or our desires, and Lord, I pray that we could truly hear from you, um, Lord, as we open up your word, God, that you would uh, reveal your truth to us, and uh, Lord, that it would truly change the way we think, and then uh, follow that with the way we live, and so God, we, we love you, and we uh, give this time to you, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I truly am excited about Romans 12, as as we've been walking through this, this incredible, incredible book of the Bible um, where it, it starts out saying, hey, there is a God. Uh, we aren't just a cosmic accident. There is no good explanation for just the world that we see around us. The people that, that uh, how, we, how we interact with each other, the, the things that we experience as far as values and love and, and, and just the sense that we have of, of justice and, and, and some purpose and, and all these things, um, there is really a God. Romans actually starts out talking to people who want to deny the very existence of God. And then, though, it reveals to us our issue and our problem, that God is good and holy and perfect, and there is nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with him. That we all, every single one of us, me included, every person has this huge issue, and it's called sin. It's this rebellion that we have towards a good, perfect God. And that rebellion separates us from having the kind of relationship that God created us to have with him. And it's just bad news. You're just reading through Romans going, wait a minute. Pastor Ben said this was an awesome book, and this is bad news. But then the good news comes out. And the good news is even greater news because you understand your true condition and where we really are and what, what the bad news is so that we can say, oh, that's why this good news is so amazing. And the but comes in 
a really good but comes in in chapter 3. And I just want to share that with you to give you some context to what we're talking about in chapter 12. So in Romans 3.21, and, and I think this is a great passage. If you have friends, family, neighbors who, who, who are willing or, or kind of maybe even know that, that, that you're a believer and, and uh, that, that, you know, they have some questions about the Bible or what the Christian message is, it, it's not, God is not trying to reveal some secret complicated thing. That he is, he is revealing his truth to us. And this is a great passage for you to use to just share this with someone who says, I want to know what Christianity is, what it means to follow Jesus, who Jesus is, what, what's the deal. Here's a great passage to just kind of sum it up. Because, like I said, it says, hey, we've got this brokenness and sin that separates us from God. And Romans 3.21 says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. That most people have some kind of concept throughout human history. There's been some kind of idea that we have to implement some kind of religious system in order for us to be made right with God. And there's some kind of sacrifices or or some kind of rules and lists that we have to follow and do because there is within us some sense that we aren't here by accident, that there must be something greater than us, some creator, and there's some brokenness. We have to atone for something. And so throughout human history, you know, they come up with all these religions. People have come up with all these systems to be made right, right with God. And the Christian message is that God did what was necessary for us to be right with him. And so it's not by following, keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. That's the Christian message. That's the incredible good news, the gospel. What does the gospel mean? Good news. I've heard some people use the gospel as like some religious system. What's the gospel? And they start sharing with me like this religious system. I'm like, it's just, it's good news. It's like the best news. It's amazing news that, that God provided a way and did what's necessary Okay, so I say all that, and now you're like, come on, we're rewinding here. We're supposed to be in 12. You're talking about three. But I say all that because what we're going to talk about is how we respond as believers. Because as believers, we have experienced this extravagant, incredible love that we didn't earn and, and, and we don't deserve, and yet God offers it to anyone who will accept it through faith. And that simply just means trusting in God and what he's done and what he's provided rather than trusting in who you are, your own morality, your religious system, whatever else you think you're trusting in to make you right with God. Instead, we're putting our faith in, we're trusting in what Jesus has done. And the thing is, though, that radically changes you because then what God does is he wipes away your sin, he forgives them, it's paid for and done with completely on the cross. But it doesn't stop there. As weeks ago, we talked about, like, it's like that, you know, game show where it's like, and there's more. And there's just more and more. Your sins are forgiven. Then you're given the righteousness. You're credited to your righteous account, which is nothing. 
You're credited by putting your faith in Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus, the worthiness of Jesus, which is a perfect righteousness, a perfect, there's no higher standard. The gra- and so you're, you're considered completely holy and righteous, not because of your, your, what you've done, but that's part of what it means and what God gives us. And then what else does he give us? He's a, then you're adopted into God's family as a son or a daughter. And then you're given the Holy Spirit, God's presence living inside of you to guide you, to instruct you, to work through you, to empower you, to encourage you, to convict you of areas where you get off. Um, there's all these things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. That's a gift that we get. And then you're given a spiritual gift to do and be a part of God's work and what he's called you to do now that you're a follower of his. And so all these things were given as a free gift. And part of this response is what we're going to talk about at the end of chapter 12. And it's loving in this extravagant way because we've received this extravagant love. Um, and, and what love looks like is very different from the world, uh, world's definition of view of love. So in 1 John 2, 4 through 5, it talks about this. And it talks about, uh, basically it says if, if you're claiming to know God and be a follower of his, but you don't love, you're a liar. If someone claims, I know God, here I'm just going to say it, let's read it specifically in scripture, but doesn't obey God's commands, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. And so this is not how you're saved. Now you have to love God, and then what's the definition of that? But it says how you love God is obeying him. But the world's definition, so number one, you've got a blank in your program. If you want to write any of this, um, we encourage you to do that. Usually we have you kind of fill in things. Uh, but we just gave you a blank this week because we're going to walk through, and there's just there's, there's like 30 points as we just walk through. Don't be scared. We'll get you out of here, maybe. Um, number one, though, here's what love isn't. Love is not a feeling, emotion, or good intention. That's more how the world would define love. You know, you hear things like people will break up a relationship, and their reasoning or, or the rationale they might tell the other person is, I just fell out of love which is really weird. If you think of a biblical definition of of love being a choice and an action that you do, the way we view it is like something you trip over. Like I fell out of love. I don't know how that happened on accident. I just somehow love like it left me because we view it as just something that stirs us or something. Like, oh, I have this excitement and these emotions and these feelings and they faded away. And so, I mean, it's a very selfish view. It's a very shallow view of love. But that's the world's definition and view of love. It's just tied up in our feelings and our emotions or even our good intentions. And that's what that verse directly that I just read talks about. Well, well, I, I, I want to live for God or I, I really do love God, but I don't do anything he asks me to do. Says, well, no, then you really don't love God is exactly what that verse says. 
Number two, real love is obeying Jesus according to Scripture. If you love him, you will obey him. Because love isn't just, well, I have this wonderful ooey-gooey feeling about Jesus, especially when, when we sing about him and I get these cool little tingly goosebumps because I just love Jesus. And I go out and I do nothing about it. I don't follow him in any way. The Bible says we're missing something key and important. But real love is, well, I love you enough, Jesus, and I trust you enough to actually follow you and do what you say and what you've called me to do. And number three, love is a choice followed by an action. That it is a choice we make. It's not something, just an emotion that we accidentally fall into. (laughs) But it's actually a choice that we make to love. And what that looks like is not just a choice to try to have an emotion, but then it is action. That's what love is. And the Bible just views it very differently from from how we view love in in our world. Um, Romans 12, let's jump in to verse 9 is where we are. And it just gets super practical. Like, okay, if you've been transformed by Jesus, man, you guys should be loving people. But here's what it looks like practically. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. And and the concept we get here, and even the word that's used here, is don't be a hypocrite, or the word we get uh, for hypocrite, just putting on a fake mask of pretending you love people. Back then, the, the, the word hypocrite... Um, comes from the concept, they didn't have like method acting, right, where you got in a character and became whoever you're trying to act. They just had a mask, right, that the actor would change. And they may play several different roles, and they'd just grab a different mask, and then the audience got the concept that that's a different character. And they said, well, don't be fake like that. Don't just pretend to love people, but actually genuinely, truly love them. Um, and I think that's funny. If you've been around religion long, uh, sadly, that's a common thing that you may run into even in churches. It's just like, you know, just kind of this, this fake kind of love where you're like, they don't really care about me, but they put this, this front up that they really do. And so Paul's saying, no, 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 we're different. We don't just talk about it and then we're fake. We genuinely love each other. Um, also, it's like a sincere love, that genuine word that's translated from the Greek is, is, is also translated maybe a sincere love. And it's a, a, the, the love term is agape. And we get all these different terms of love. We kind of have one term in the English language. Uh, but this agape type of love is most associated with the way God loves us. And the way God loves us is, self, is a sacrificial love and an unconditional love. Um, and that's how we're called to, to treat, uh, to love each other. Um, and it goes on to say, hate, isn't that funny? I should have said, oh, here's our message, come Sunday, to learn how we're commanded to hate. <laughs> but it says that, hate what is wrong. In the beginning of chapter 12, it talks about how, our natu- what, how we should respond to what God has done for us is worshiping with our life that we're actually a living sacrifice for God. And and it says how we do that is we align our thinking. We change the way we think, and that's why I keep hitting on the point, hey, this is what the world's going to feed us, but this is what God's word says uh, for us to do and think. And so uh, as we see, um, um, yes, I 
lost my train of thought. Stick with me. Uh, hate, yep. I hate that too when I do that. Uh, yeah. Hate what is wrong. Yeah, I don't know. We'll just keep going. Uh, I don't know where I am. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Oh, this concept is <laughs> we want to think like God thinks. Have his, and he actually hates some things. The Bible's clear on this. He hates especially stuff that hurts people. He hates sin. Why? Because it destroys. It destroys relationships. It destroys, I mean, the effect of sin on the world causes the, the evil and the pain, everything. He hates that. But sadly, our world's view of sin, the things that just, you know, God calls us clearly not to do or how not to live or, um, you know, uh, our view often is it's this enticing, exciting thing that we just kind of have to miss out on because we're Christians. Wah, wah. Oh, well. <laughs> you know? And honestly, I think that's how many of us view it. Instead of going, no, it's a temptation that is being cloaked and deceived as something that is, is enticing and something that we desire, but actually it is something that destroys and kills kills relationships, kills your, your connection with God, uh, brings bitterness into your life and shame and all these things. Like that, God's word says, hey, that's how you should hate, like have the same thinking of sin as God does. And that will help you overcome some of those temptations when you start thinking, okay, no, that's not just, well, that'd be really fun to do, but God says not to. No, that thing, man, that will destroy my marriage. If I get into that. that, that will destroy my career, my reputation. That will cause a lot of pain and heartache to people I love. That will, you know, whatever it is, destroy the opportunities that God wants to put uh, in my life. So think how God thinks on that. Um, hold tightly to what is good. And, and that concept is just like, I don't know, you're rock climbing and you don't have a safety harness and you're just clinging on to what is good, that's what you should embrace, that's what you should love, what God calls good. Um, goes on in verse 10 to say, love each other with genuine affection, which, which I think is interesting, goes on and says, and take delight in honoring each other. And in a little bit, uh, sounds similar to what we opened with, um, but that genuine affection um, has to do with how we specifically and it's really talking to believers and how we interact within our church family or with other believers is, is that we have this affection. Like, can you say that for, for the other people within God's family? That that's how we're supposed to not tolerate them or just try to be nice or work, but, but really deeply care. So what that looks like, I think, on a practical level is instead of coming to church or being a part of a church thing and going, what am I going to get out of this? It's going to church, let's say a life group opportunity, going in and going, man, I'm going to go to life group today, not for, hmm, I wonder if this study will be any good for me or whatever, or if they'll do something for me or I need something, or, um, but going and saying, okay, I'm going to life group, and it's an opportunity to love the people in that group. Like, what do people in my group need? How can I encourage them? How can I lift them up? How can I... You know, help them see God's love in a 
in a more meaningful way through me. That's what it means to honor each other. Um, Verse 11 goes on to say, never be lazy. And we're just getting crazy practical here, right? So we're going to skip that. I don't like that. But work hard. Oh, wait, that kind of reemphasizes the same thing. Never be lazy, work hard, and serve the Lord enthusiastically. And I just, I honestly, as I was kind of uh, researching and looking at this, and why is that exactly put there at that time? I mean, I just think it's really practical that I know when I'm lazy, it's pretty selfish. It's about me. Uh, but God has called us to, uh, to put others first, which often calls me to kind of set my desire to not do whatever and to, to go forward and serve others. And then when we go and do that, we do experience the satisfaction that comes from serving God and loving others in doing that. Verse 12 says, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. I love in the New Testament, over, almost every time we see that word hope, it's, it's this idea of confident hope. It's not the kind of hope like, I hope I win the lottery. I hope my boss gives me a raise. Maybe that's more likely than the lottery, right? I, I, um, but I hope I win the lottery. It's just wishful thinking, right? Man, that'd be nice, right? That's, that's not the hope we have. It's not empty. It's built on a very firm, solid foundation of truth that can be tested, that God has revealed himself Uh, for us to know, to not, faith isn't, some people define faith in not a biblical way, but they define faith as believing something that's kind of unbelievable. Like, there's not really any reason to believe it, so that's when faith kicks in, and that's what faith is. God just wants you to have faith. Okay? That's my response to that. Because then you could apply that to anything. And you could just, that's not how God has revealed himself. He's revealed himself in his word throughout, uh, throughout history to show us that he is the one true God. And here I'm going to show the people specifically that I'm working through, through miracles, through guiding them, through, through revelation, through, uh, through prophets, through all these things. And I'm going to uh, write, you know, uh, keep records of these and, and, and pass them down. And, and that's what we have is God's word. And Jesus comes on the scene. And he's not just like, hey, you just got to have faith. I'm the son of God. Follow me. That's it. And that's like his message. I think he'd have like three people going, maybe. No. What, why were people following him? He did miracles. He taught in such a way that they were like, that's supernatural. That's like not just that must be coming from somewhere other than just a normal dude. And so thousands of people went, oh, I see evidence of what you're saying is actually something worth putting my trust in and putting my faith in. So it's not a blind faith. God never calls us to a blind faith. Sometimes people, uh, but it's this confident hope that we have. And be patient in trouble and keep on praying. So we're... uh, encouraged in this or reminded that the very thing that Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. That in the midst of loving people, it's not like, man, I'm loving people. I'm trying to do what God wants me to do. And stuff still stinks sometimes. But we're actually promised that that things will be, I I mean, here's the way that, that we view it as Christians, is being here in this world, for, for really the short time in relation to everything that we're here, 
This is the closest to hell we'll ever get. And it's temporary. And we look forward to an eternity in the incredible uh, presence of God, worshiping him and being in this perfect relationship with our creator God. And, and so that, that makes us view the troubles of this world differently and not just go, oh, I'm shocked that there are troubles, but this is temporary. And sadly, just to look at a natural reflection of that, people who don't know Jesus don't, haven't accepted that free gift of salvation. This world is the closest to heaven they'll ever experience. And so we should remember that and have a, the same compassion and the same thinking and the same heart God has that all people would instead accept uh, forgiveness and, and relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And so... Um, but we're reminded that that is, and so what do we do in the midst of it, especially? Pray. And don't make that something, what prayer is, I think the best definition that I've come across is communication with God. It's, that's it. And I say communication because communication should include listening. So it's not just talking to God, here's my list of things I want you to do. But a meaningful prayer life is hearing from God. I think the primary way that he he uh, speaks to us is through his word, but we also have the Holy Spirit in our lives that guides us and reveals things to us. But, but he will, like he guides us in his truth. So we hear from God and we pray. And we know the basis of every healthy uh, relationship is communication. And so, hey, have a healthy, communi- uh, healthy relationship with God. And in this life when it's getting tough, especially remember, stay connected to God. Through prayer. Verse 13, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. And, and here's a beautiful concept, again, just a different way than the world thinks. Everything I have, every cent in my bank account, everything I own, and every ability I have to do whatever, every, any talent I have or, or opportunity that I might have, it's not mine. It's all a gift from God. And as I gave my life to Christ, I, I gave over my life to God. I'm now, uh, he's my Lord. That's what, what it means when we say Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of my life. He's now in charge of my bank account. He's now in charge of my opportunities, my time, my talent. And so when opportunities come up to help someone, it's not like, well, how much of my stuff do I want to give them? <laughs> It's more like, okay, God, this is all your stuff. How do you? And, and sometimes it's a, you know, it's, a, it's a prayerful decision. Sometimes it's not real black and white. It's kind of difficult. You might need to seek some advice or something. But, you know, having the attitude of it's not mine, you're just giving me the, the awesome opportunity to manage it. How do you want me to manage it? And it, it makes us approach the generosity that God's called us to very differently. Um, always practice hospitality. Some people ask me, like, why do you guys have donuts and coffee at your church? If people really love Jesus, they come here without that stuff. And they're right. And so we, don't, we won't have any more coffee and donuts next week, okay? No. <laughs> yeah. People are like, walk it out, leave it. Right, right. We will. <laughs> it's just a simple, silly little, I mean, silly. I just say silly because it's just a small Active hospitality is what we're trying to share. We're just trying to say, hey, 
we, we, we want this to be a welcoming, open, inviting place. And what small little thing can we, you know, that's just one small little thing we can do because we are commanded. Isn't that interesting? We're commanded as believers to be hospitable. To, to, and that specifically, that term is geared towards, focused on outsiders. And so sometimes we get that, like, man, you got this whole display for new people and stuff. Well, we're commanded to especially be hospitable to- towards new people. So we, we hope if you're new, you have experienced that. Um, going on, where are we? 14, bless those. And then I think it's an interesting turn here that Paul makes. Bless those who curse, or I'm sorry, who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. This is how you're going to impact others. Isn't that interesting? That's where I added. This is how this is how we really impact the world. I think in a meaningful way because it talks a lot about our relationships with others, and it's mainly pointing to other believers. But then it's saying, "Hey, we live in a world where there's going to be people who persecute you because you say, hey, 'Hey, I'm a Jesus follower,' and 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 just for whatever reason, you're in the fast lane and you're driving slow. You know, like you whatever." Where you can get persecuted for all sorts of reasons. And it says the world's reaction would be like, I'm getting them back. They cut me off, I'm going to cut them off. And, you know, wave the international one-finger salute or something. You know, like, like that's the world's, you know, and that's our... If, and, and you know, even if you've given your heart to Jesus, there's still this... this the Bible describes this, like, uh, this uh, human nature, this... This selfishness that we still have until we're, we're, we're in heaven. We still have this kind of temptation in our life. The, the Bible refers to it as our flesh. And we still have this option to give in to this natural flesh or to respond in this crazy, radical, different way of going, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> I'm going to not return evil for evil. I think I'm getting ahead of myself. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Verse 15, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. And again, I think it's talking about a broader sense of just people. Connect with people. Love people. Uh, God has a heart for and cares and has compassion towards all people. And so if we have the heart and the mind of God, okay, you're going to rejoice with those who rejoice. You're going to weep with those who weep no matter who they are. Um, Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. And so I think it's interesting also that he's like, okay, and live in this radical way that you love and care about people so much. And then can't you imagine, I mean, I'm sure I've been there, where I'm like, man, I helped that guy and I did that and I I volunteered in that way. Man, I started a church. Woohoo! I need an extra hand, you know? That's why I need a wireless mic so I can just double pat my back. Go, Ben. Go, Ben. No. It's reminding us that as we're loving people in this extravagant way, that this is not something that we should take credit for. That our natural self, Ben's natural self, is to live for Ben to do what, what pleases me and what I think is going to be best for my life. But I've been called into this radically different view of, of, of living out life. And so 
Um, you know, it kind of reminds me of uh, just a joke I heard this morning. Um, how do you throw a space party? You plan it. So I heard this awesome joke. Some, of, some people laughed. Puns are the lowest for, form of humor. Um, <laughs> Tyson's like, uh-uh. So Tyson shared that joke with me this morning. I never remember jokes. So I was like, hey, that's actually my sermon, like a joke. It's like me taking credit for that joke. Like, oh, you guys laughed. Awesome me. I'm so funny. Check me out. When Tyson's the one, that's his joke. Or, and I'm sure he stole it from Laffy Taffy. And so, but the same concept is when we love, it's not, okay, now don't be prideful about the love. What's happened is you're just, naturally, you would just be real selfish and, and not love, maybe if you saw some benefit for yourself, but what you're doing is you're obeying commands. So, so if you've got an officer, if any of you guys are in the military, or, or even a boss who says, hey, do this, and then you actually do it because you have respect for that authority, and you go, man, I'm so awesome. I did, you know, what my commanding officer, what my boss told me to do. Man, I am just good. No? Like, the commanding officer gets all the credit for, I mean, you just obeyed and fulfilled what you were called to do, and so we get that concept here that, that you know, we, we understand that it's God who's doing this in us and has guided us. Uh, Jesus even did, said this directly to his, his followers in Luke 17.10. He said, in the same way, when you obey me, uh, I'm sorry, you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. That that's the attitude that we have. We're not putting ourselves down, but it's a proper, truthful perspective. Um, verse 17, never pay back evil with more evil. Um, that's... You know, often I think it's interesting and really sad just some of the history of, of violence and hatred in the Middle East. And, and, and this is a, a concept that's not applied. It is revenge, revenge, revenge. And we live generations and generations and, and it goes on for centuries of these people are revenging themselves from an evil Evil is repaid for evil is repaid for evil. And what happens is no one ever gets ahead. When everyone, it's an eye for an eye, just everyone winds up blind. Because you just, everyone has, you know, a perspective that they were more, they were done wrong more, so they need to justify that. But then they think that they, their retaliation was worse, you know. And, and, And God gives us a radical different view of how we approach life. And it says, never repay evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. And there, I think it shows, and we see this concept also in other places where um, even if, if, if something that you're involved with or doing gives off the appearance of evil, even though maybe it's not, be careful because you are an ambassador of Jesus. So it's not like, well, hey, I know it's not wrong, and some people think it's wrong, but I don't care because I know it's not wrong. Who cares about what they think? No, we have the heart of God, and we do care. And so we even go out of our way to be very transparent and make sure that, that there's no misconception of what we're doing and, and making sure the reputation we have is that we're honorable people, not for ourselves, but because we, we are representing Jesus. 
18 says, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And I love that that's got a qualifier. Because <laughs> that, I mean, that wouldn't be possible in my life. There's certain people who so disagree with maybe some things that I, I firmly hold true about who God is and stuff. That there's not really, peace might not be the way you describe our relationship. But, but here's what gives me comfort. Jesus did not live at peace with everyone. So much so that the people he was not at peace with killed him, right? And so you do everything you can to live at peace with people, but you cannot compromise God's truth. And, And of course, Jesus was unwilling to compromise God's truth of who he was, about what he came to do, and his enemies couldn't accept that and be at peace with that. And so, so there is that qualifier that, you know, at, you know, everything possible to live at peace with everyone. Dear, uh, then verse 19 says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. That we focus more on ourselves. That we understand that God is in control, that he's big, and that we trust in him and what's going to happen. And that we understand the grace and forgiveness we, re- we have received is undeserved. And that, and that so any other people, when we start trying to make things justified and right, and that that's not, that's not a business we should be in. And we should allow God um, trust in him in, in that area. Verse 20 then says kind of a strange phrase for us, in, in, I think, in our culture. What is it talking about here as we wrap up? Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. Uh, In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil with good. So we have a bunch of, a pile of burning coals in the lobby. We're trying to be true to scripture. So if you would grab some on your way out, you're going to be heaping those on anyone. Okay, what is this talking about? And we see this, this is something, you know, we can study and say, oh, what's, what's happening? What are they talking about here? I think the, the best um, connection to our culture would be if your enemy is stranded on the side of the road and ran out of gas. Because coals was their fuel. It was their fuel to cook with. It was their fuel to stay warm with. And if your enemy, because it says, hey, if, if your enemy's hungry, feed them. If your enemy's thirsty, give them something to drink. And, and if, if they don't have coals, and so they have this practice of if your coals burnt out, hopefully you had a friend or neighbor you could go and, and or your fire burned out, and you could go get a hot coal, and, and they'd usually wrap it up and, and put it on their head to, to kind of transport wherever they were going. And so what does it say in Scripture? And I've heard some weird interpretations of this, you know, so. Um, but it's saying heap. Just like, hey, if they're hungry, man, don't, you know, don't take them to the dollar menu at McDonald's. Um, take them to Chikorama, all right? Like, if they're, if they're thirsty, you know, um, you know, it's saying show extravagant generosity. And who's it saying to do it towards? Your enemies. And, and then what will that do? God can use that as really a convicting thing. Because that shocks people <laughs> into, what is your deal? 
I thought we were enemies. I hate everything about you or whatever. And so here, I mean, I think the, the, the practical thing would be your enemy or someone who, who they're in a position, you're doing everything you can to be at peace with them, but they see you as an enemy. They're stranded on the side of the road. You buy them a full tank of gas and a $100 gift card for more gas, a gas card or something. I mean, it's saying show extraordinary love. Why? Because you have been showed extraordinary love in Jesus, and that's how we respond. Not trying to earn our salvation or keep our salvation. This is how we live out how God wants us to live. I like how Lincoln, uh, Lincoln had a famous quote, um, President Lincoln, because he was known in the Civil War, uh, a lot of his, his advisors were surprised at how he responded to the South once the war was over. He wanted to reconcile and just bring the country back together. And just not, you know, try to repay evil for evil. But a lot of his advisors and political party or whatever uh, said, no, we need to, you know, have, uh, rep- like, get, you know, have them pay for all the war debt and all, you know, whatever it is. And, and his quote was, um, do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? So they're like, what do we do with enemies? <laughs> Lincoln's like, you destroy them by making them your friends. And, and I think he had a biblical concept of what, we're, what God wants and calls us to. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as they come up, um, I want to share something with you guys that we're going to be doing a little bit differently. Um, we are going to, and, and we're not going to start, well, we're going to start it in a small way here today. Um, we're still trying to figure out some logistics. I actually had some good, um, good suggestions uh, after the last service. Uh, we want to incorporate more prayer in our church and, and just do it more specifically. We ask you guys to share anything that you want um, the leadership of the church to pray for, and we take those, and we just share those throughout the week with, with kind of the, the leaders in our church, and um, we pray for you guys. And, but we want to do it as a church body on Sunday morning. And so what we're going to do is, is somehow, this is the logistical part that we're working out. We may use our text thing, and so that's another reason I'd love for you guys to kind of have that easily accessible. But in the, early, in the beginning of the service, we're going to ask you guys if there's anything we can pray for you about or if there's any celebration of God answering prayer that we could share in our church. And so um, we're going to have you share that. We may have you write it out on a book as you come in. Uh, We may have some kind of cards that you write it out on, and we collect those, so we're still trying to work that that out. And then at the end of the service, we're going to, in a real general way, we'll kind of leave out details and names and stuff like that, but we're just going to pray as a church and ask God to do incredible things um, because prayer is is an amazing tool and an amazing opportunity that God gives us. And uh, so we just want to be a church that emphasizes prayer and celebrates God at work. And so we also want to do that, celebrate how God's answering prayer. So I'm going to pray for a couple things that our church has been praying for just this morning. And then just be ready for that. Uh, Hopefully we can get that going next week. But that's what we want to start.